This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy! It is the Chicago First podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists and industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black. Welcome to Chicago. Let's keep it going here. Looking good? Right on. We got Cass and Natalie running things off camera, live tweeting, keeping the stream going. And here we have... Lior Galil. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I am good, man. Uh, thank you so much. Again, I, I always start with this, but like, thank you sincerely for coming up. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, you're somebody who, you know, you're doing a lot. People know who you are from the reader. People know you on Twitter. People know you from Blink-182 jokes. I hope people don't know me from Twitter. <laughs> I think everybody knows everyone from Twitter now. <laughs> uh. um, but, but you did a panel with Dynasty Podcast earlier this year, a really great panel with really, really, I loved that lineup and you were part of this great discussion about like music journalism and how to break into that. So formally, thank you for doing that because that was a great night. Yeah, it was fun. It was, it's always good to talk shop with other writers uh, and it's cool to do it in front of other people too. Totally. Um, So, but we've never gotten to do like a one-on-one kind of interview dialogue. We've had you on the panel, but uh, you know, Again, let's start at the beginning, like we always do with everybody. Like, how did that start for you, the music journalism thing? How did you get to where you are? Cool. Uh, well, it all started with High Fidelity. I, I saw that movie, and I said, I want to be the woman that's interviewing uh, um, John Cusack. No, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's only two movies. It's either Almost <laughs> Famous two, or yeah. High Fidelity. <laughs> uh, actually, it is, it is funny. Looking back, I did see that movie in high school, and uh, I remember at one point rewatching, and I was like, oh, oh, wow. there's all the things. Okay, all the things. <laughs> yeah, because I grew up... Uh, I grew up in the D.C. area. Uh-huh. So I grew up with the Washington City paper, which is the all-weekly sure. out there. Um, and, uh, you know, once I started getting interested in music, particularly in local music, you know, I got to see the last U.S. Fugazi show. Wow. Um, yeah, which is uh, very weird to say. Uh, I definitely, I'm, my age, generation, whatever you want to call it, I think I came into this stuff. I came into this stuff after zines like the big zine boom okay yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. the you know of the 90s the 90s yeah i had dial up internet for pretty much the entire time i was in high school so sure. i completely missed like the first wave of blogging and it wasn't until after i graduated college that i started to get into blogging you know personal blogging just because i had no other vehicle for writing about music at right. all i wrote for some college papers um which you know was fun at the time but it's very insular sure. and it's a, you know, it's a great experience for learning how to write for a community mm-hmm. uh, and how to piss off people in the community, <laughs> um, which I valuable did, skill did. Yeah. Did on occasion a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it wasn't until I got out that I was like, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. I did AmeriCorps for the first year after I graduated and, uh, that gave me, you know, it gave me free time to do my own thing. I, you know, it was a nine to five. Right. In and out. And then I, I had the entire day. I had weekends again. You know, I was, I overbooked myself in college. And suddenly I, you know, every night I went through the process of sitting down at my computer and just at the end of the day, just writing for myself. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're somebody like, again, so many people who I talked to on this podcast who like appreciate being busy. Like you get uncomfortable with downtime. Yes and no. These yeah. days. <laughs> well, these days. But like when yeah. you're young and hungry, all you yeah. want to do is just be like in it. Yeah. There was, and, and I've always, I think, and my parents could probably attest if uh, they could say if this is incorrect or correct, but I've always been somebody that's curious about what's going on and interested in what's happening. I like, 
I tell people I was spoiled growing up in D.C., not monetarily, but the fact that every museum was free. Sure. And my parents were very encouraging of me going to museums. Once I was interested in music, we had all ages shows. I could go to right. the 930 Club uh, with my father. Right. <laughs> you know, I had to buy, my parents had a thing where like, okay, if you want to go see a show, you got to buy your dad a ticket until like, you know, the end of high school. So Fair trade. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saved up so that I could take my dad to see Power Man 5000 <laughs> when I was in eighth grade oh god yeah that's it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah power man 5000 5000 static x uh dope and chevelle oh man chevelle <laughs> yeah you're, you're taking me back to very much my q101 early 2000s oh yeah days. oh yeah all that was yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. uh but that's really valuable man like and having that parental support like i had the parents who when i was in high school doing radio internships like you know, there were shows that I would work for that would start at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. So my parents were getting up to get me to the radio station by 5.30 on a Saturday, which I don't have kids, but I'm like, God, could I love someone that much? I would <laughs> hope so. Yeah, if you're going to have kids, I would hope you do. Yeah, yeah I don't think I'm going to have kids. <laughs> um, so now you're at this point, of course, where you are, I think, I, I think a lot of people see you as kind of like the lead music writer or, or one of the prominent voices at the Reader, at the Chicago Reader, where you're covering music in a really in-depth and insightful way. Like, when did that start for you? When did you get to the Reader? Um, so I moved to Chicago eight years ago, actually, okay. uh, for grad school. I went to Northwestern, yada, yada, yada. Um, and <laughs> it was, I started freelancing before I got here. I was writing for the Boston Phoenix when I was living out in Boston. Not a lot, just like a couple stories before I moved out here. And I love the reader from afar. Sure. Uh, I mean, as soon as I got interested in music writing, I discovered Jessica Hopper. Right. Um, and her writing and her, and just she as a person, have been incredibly influential to me. And one of the first things I did when I moved here was pick up a copy of the reader. And it mm-hmm. became a ritual. Every Thursday, I would pick up a copy of the reader on my way to school. Uh, and I started, as soon as I figured out kind of the rhythm and saw a hole, mm-hmm. I, you know, I pitched to Philip Montour, the music editor, a mm-hmm. story about a DIY venue that, is, that was operating out of an old moped storefront in the Congress Theater. Uh, the venue was called Strange Light. They did all-ages okay. shows, very inclusive, uh, brought a lot of like, interesting punk bands from around the country. And Philip got back to me in f- five hours yeah, and gave me the thumbs up. And uh, I remember... As part of my last quarter at Medill, we, I was doing the magazine track, and the fourth quarter always involves taking, working with a publication or some sort of media outlet to try and you know, pitch them a reinvention of you know, what they're putting out. And we got the reader my quarter, and I was so psyched. Yeah. And so the first day of that quarter, we sat down to go through, through the issue, and that was the issue that they published my piece That's on so Strange Light. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, my professor... Uh, Marcel Packett, uh, former Tribune guy, just goes, what is this gibberish on page, you know, whatever it is on? Right. And I was like, fuck you, Marcel. I mean, we were, you <laughs> right, know, right, we, right. I, we, yeah. he's, he's one of those, you know, like buddy chummy guys. Sure. We, I'd already had classes with him. So. And were you getting there after Miles had left, Miles Reamer? I started freelancing when Miles was still there. Okay. Um, and so there was this interesting period where Miles, I knew Miles was moving. I knew he was going to be leaving the reader eventually. And uh, I didn't know what was happening. And I was coming to a point where financially, because I was writing for the reader, I was on contract uh, as a freelancer, mm-hmm. and I was making nothing. Right. I was making next to nothing doing it. And I was like, there's very, 
it's becoming financially impossible to do this. There was so much riding on the uh, on on me possibly getting this job, and I was like, if this doesn't work out, I might have to move. Yeah. Um. And uh. And it was weird hearing other people who didn't even work at the reader be like, you're you you should be getting that job once Miles leaves. Like that should be yours. And just being like, I don't I don't know. Nobody <laughs> right, knows. Like, Nobody's telling me anything. And it just kind of like I it's not I fell into it because I was working mm-hmm. so hard there. I had already done one of the biggest stories of my career as a freelancer, as a journalist, right. for the reader the year before the year before Miles left, at least a year, mm-hmm. if not two years. Um, but I didn't feel like I had earned it, you know. I, I was writing as much as some of the, you know, some staffers were weekly, and I still didn't feel like it, I had earned it. I still sometimes don't feel like I've earned it. Well, I mean, uh, to, again, to me, like, I, I have no association with the reader. I don't write for them. I just appreciate it as a Chicagoan and as a media, blah, 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 whatever. Like, but, I, I, again, I feel like you're one of the prominent voices associated with it. I mean, especially now, but over the last few years, like, you know, your work pops up again and again, and I think you're very connected to the Chicago media, like music and arts community in a way that has connected with people. It's interesting to me. I mean, just, yeah, the, you, the, the key word is community. And yeah. it's, it's not just one big community. It's a lot of little communities. It and they, you know, they don't always overlap. And they overlap in the weirdest of ways. And, uh, and I love finding those little stories of how people connect. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, uh, even if I wasn't doing this, I would still be going to shows as frequently as I do. Ooh, it's the... Yeah, the lights the twilight, the twilight uh, is hour. Be to turn on. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, <clears throat> it's... Uh, for me, there's... there's This is... It, it has a... Chicago has a feeling of a small town. Yes, we've, we've been over that. I, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area. I went to school in Boston. I've lived in bigger... You know, I lived in London for a bit. Uh, I lived in Israel. Like, I've, I've been around. This, there's, there's no place that I've lived in that feels quite like this. It's so sprawling and huge, but it... it there is this sense of community. Is that what keeps you in Chicago? Part of it, yeah. There's so yeah. many things that keep me in Chicago, but I do, I genuinely love this place. It's got its problems like every other. Sure, <laughs> sure. There's, there's no perfect place. And part of what I love about Chicago is that people here are so willing to point out what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and more, more so, do their best to try and work to improve it in some way. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what we were talking about with Jesse earlier. It's like, you know, using your platform to you know, shed light on something or interview somebody or tell the story of maybe a community or a person or an activist or a group or something that maybe nobody else is telling their story, you know? It's part of the fun. You know, I feel like this is a huge sandbox and those of us that are in it have so much room to play in it. And sometimes if we want to build a castle together, we can, but we can, you know, build these huge structures on our own and kind of admire what everyone else is doing. And it, it the, the city is richer for it. You know, like I, I remember reading Jesse did a story on our music, My Body. And I was like, well, I can't, I've nothing, nothing <laughs> I can say now. This is like, this is everything, you know, right. which is great. The, that's, you know, that's the kind of community I want to be a part of is like where people are doing great work and they're beating you to stories that you want to write. Right. That's like, that's a, that's it's a, a good great, problem to it's have. It's a great problem to have. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, what are some of the stories that you've told over the years at The Reader that have really resonated with you or have meant something to you or you thought, man, this actually did have an impact? Uh, yeah, uh, about... Uh, how much time? I'll, I'll try and do this quick. <laughs> uh, about six, almost... Six and a half, almost seven years ago, 
I was at Myopic Books and I found a flyer in the little alcove mm-hmm. underneath the staircase, uh, hand-drawn flyer with like a few lines typed out on it. Typed out on it that said, "I'm looking for friends and stuff, so call and a you know phone number. I'm not a weasel." Uh, slender drawing, a drawing of a slender black man on it. It was you know very strange. Sure. Uh, I I took a photo of it with my really crappy flip phone and uh, <laughs> tried calling the number. I'm from out of town. I have a 301 area code on my cell. I refuse to give that up for some reason because sure. I'm stubborn or lazy, you know, whatever. Uh, and uh, couldn't get through. And I went home and looked up the name of the person. I couldn't find barely a shred of evidence of this person existing. Um, and except for one blog post written by a guy from Albuquerque with a story of, you know, the, the person left who supposedly left this flyer and some MP3s of home recordings that this guy made. And I clicked on it, and it was just it. There was nothing like it that I'd ever heard. It hit me in a way that uh, nothing quite meant so much to me then yeah. or since. And there's a lot of music that makes me feel all sorts of ways, that make me feel great in all sorts of ways. But uh, I was 25 at the time. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to make it as a writer. I'd give myself a year to freelance full-time. I just graduated from grad school, and I felt lost, and this made me feel a little less alone. That's awesome. So I spent months calling this number, you know, from time to time, couldn't get through. Eventually, I was just like, I'll just email the guy who posted this blog post. Gave the number for the guy, got a call from him before I even had the chance to call him back. Turns out the the number he left on the flyer was for his grandmother's landline. And uh, there was a call, you know, like a caller ID thing. So, yeah, 301, why would you pick that up? Uh, Two months later, you know, story comes out. Um, It's about a gentleman named Willis Robeal. Uh, he, at the time, had given a couple cassette tapes of home-recorded material that he had made on a karaoke machine mm-hmm. when he was living in Albuquerque using instruments that he had found or, like, rummaged or maybe he bought. And uh, he couldn't get the hundred or so dollars together to get it mastered and put on a CD that, you know, he brought these tapes to uh, a Northside recording studio. Uh, and part of, you know, when we first talked, it's, it seemed like he was trying to swindle, not swindle me, but convince me to pay that money. Right. And it was just like, I just, I would love for somebody else to feel the way about this guy and his, his music the way that I do. And I wrote this story and it came out and I, I was, for a couple of weeks there, I was playing secretary for him because people were emailing me and really responding to his story. Um, and uh, that was unlike anything I'd published that's incredible and that's uh, like cinematic yeah and one of the you know miles hit me up um miles Raymer. he was still mm-hmm. at the reader and he was like hey a buddy of mine is interested in, in his stuff he wants to hear more more of his stuff do you have you know any any material and i was like yeah here here's like uh you know the guy the guy who wrote that blog post that i had found had like a you know private mp3 library and miles is like okay this guy works for xl and he wants to sign him so will assign a deal with xl Put out two records through XL. He went on tour with Cat Power, who he was a super fan of, and a drawing of a woman on the cover of his first album was inspired by Cat Power. She ended up singing on his second album. He started a movie called Memphis. It was a you know small indie flick uh, that I think is still on Netflix streaming, and it went to God, um, I forget which film festival, but he okay. you know Grantland wrote about him, Vanity Fair wrote about him. It was. Uh, it was, it was bizarre to have such a tremendous impact on uh, a bunch of people's lives when I was 25 and barely had any idea what I was doing. 
Just because you picked <laughs> up this flyer. Just because I was Wicker obsessed Park. with something. Yeah. And it, it still means so much to me. And I, you know, it's weird talking about <clears> it now. It's, you know, I'm 31. I'm going to be 32 soon. You know, my life is, is great. Uh, I'm right. able to do this. I'm able to, you know, be here. I'm able to do this for a living. And uh, it's, uh, and yet nothing I do is going to be quite like that. It's, sure. It's not going to mean anything in the same way that that story meant to me at the time. It still means to me and what it's done, you know, for, for him and, and, you know, unexpectedly for him and the people who signed him and worked with him and toured with him. It's bizarre. It's bizarre to have that kind of effect on, on anyone. That's so, an incredible story. Yeah, yeah. And, that, that, and that's like, I, uh, you know, I think I said this last time I was on the show, I treat every feature that I'm writing on like it's my favorite story. And right. that's true. That, you know, every, I'm so excited to work on a feature. That's what I, you know, that's why I'm at right. the reader. That's why I love writing for the reader. Because I'm given, I'm able to, to have the time and energy to really, like, sit in something and, and you know, let it kind of digest well, and the reader, you know, I mean, anyone in Chicago knows this, but it's like the reader really means a lot. Like that name, and and if there's a feature in the reader about you, or if you get in the, um, you know, like Dynasty Podcast has been in that uh, the the best of a couple times. We haven't won yet. I We're haven't won there. yet for best pizza, but I'm I know. hoping next. So the whole system, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't work. But but it, it means something, you know. Like that name has a legacy in the city. It is, and it's uh, you know we're in a weird position where we're uh, you know previously we we're owned by a company called Rapports that treated us like we were the you know the kid they locked mm-hmm. in the attic and fed fish head w- sure. fish heads once a week like they did not care about us. Yeah, and that's putting it mildly. Um, and uh, it's hard to tell them how much it means to people, how much it means to young people. Right. I just did this story on Lyrical Lemonade. The guys that run it are, you know, in their right. early 20s, and they were, like, psyched. I think Cole Bennett's, like, 19 or something like that. Like, he's, he's like, a young... He's 21. He's young, okay. He's 21. 21, yeah. all right. But still, he's a young guy. still young. He's a young guy. And these are, these are guys who have, like, the ear for so many teenagers and sure. young rap fans all the and young rappers, rap, yeah. all the SoundCloud rap. And they were so psyched that, like, that the reader in particular, had, was paying attention to them and that they were going to be in print. Right. And uh, you could say what you want about print. I think the fact that it's becoming more scarce says that the, ones that's, the places that stick around, what they put in, the, in paper, what they decide to, you know, to press and to put out on the streets, it gives it a, little, it gives it a lot more gravity. It's more elite. Yeah. yeah. When, because, yeah, you remember being like the age where every, everything was magazines. I had yeah. a billion magazines in high school, Alternative uh, Press and Spin and Rolling yeah. Stone and Herb and like, so, like, something being in print, I mean, like, look, it was still cool if you made it into any of those, but, like, it was endless. And now it's, like, if you're in print, like, that's an accomplishment. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's still, I mean, I still love picking up print. I still love it when my stories get in print. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it can be a little trouble dictating that to, to telling people who are just number crunching sure. what that means. It's, you know, it's hard to, it, after a while, it's just, like, how do I begin to tell you that, like, you know, when Chance the Rapper saw him on the cover, saw the cover story that I wrote about him, he changed a song on Acid Rap at the last minute to include the fact that he was on the cover of The Reader, and then two days later on the cover of Red Eye, and then in, you know, the Sun-Times. Yeah. We're talking absolutely. within less than a week. Right. He changed, a, you know, like a song <laughs> on, on his breakthrough mixtape. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, to people who honestly, like, care about him in the sense that they know that if they publish a story about him, it's going to get traffic. Right. And so, you know, on the subject, like, people really not kind of getting it. Like, what's the latest with the Save the Reader campaign? 
So like bring us into that. Uh, the, the campaign is, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know that it's, we're, we're owned by new people now. Okay. I'm just going to, uh, we got bought in July by a coalition of owners. A number of them are labor union people. We're owned by unions, which is crazy. The Save the Reader campaign was all about the fact that our editorial staff unionized, and for now coming up on three years, we didn't get a contract. Yeah. We, haven't, we still don't have a contract. I believe strongly that our new owners are acting in good faith and are going to you know, sign our contract real quick. They seem to have an interest in that, which is amazing. That's good. Uh, you know, none of the people who own us have owned a, you know, a media company before, so... It's, it's going to be a learning experience for all of us. But every day, there's something I learn about this that makes me more and more hopeful. That's good. The fact that Edwin Eisendrath, who is kind of the spokesperson and the, and the figurehead for the group of leaders, is in the office and is coming up to my coworkers and asking them what they're working on because he's curious and he's interested. That's a good sign. an amazing sign. It's, yeah. it's significantly better than any ownership that's been there since I've been at the reader. Well, and, and this has been a theme all night. It's like, it's just, it's a rough time for media in general. It's not as if the reader is going through that and everybody else was, like, having a picnic. Right. It's a rough time to be in media. So, like, for you, how have you been able to persevere in that? And it's like, I know you have a good gig with the reader, but, like, have there been times where you're like, God, this is, there are other things I could do that would be easier than this. The first half of the summer was, like, uh, you know, when, so at the end, tail end of May, as part of the Save the Reader campaign, you know, as part of our, our drive to finally get a contract figured out, we authorized a strike, which meant that should the, uh, you know, the bargaining committee of our union feel the need to call a strike because we're not getting a fair deal on a, you know, on a contract, right. we were going to. That happened on a Friday. Come Monday, the announcement came out that Tronk was going to purchase Rapports, you know, the yeah. Sun-Times and the Reader, within two weeks. Which would be wild, because then there'd be, like, one print media company in the city. Yeah, and that took the wind out of her sails. Right. Earlier this year, the Red Eye went from a daily to a weekly. Right. Publishing on Thursdays, focused on entertainment. Interestingly, an entertainment-focused weekly cut its music writer in a city where the biggest, you know, name in the city right now is a, is is a musician. the name in, in yeah. the... Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Josh Terry, who we had on the panel that you were yeah. on, incredible talent. Yeah. He's a great writer. He knows what he's talking about. He was about. the best and, writer there. Yeah, and it, it is wild to see that, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to come at anybody or any outlet, but it's like, I haven't heard about Red Eye since Josh Terry left. Like, I haven't heard anyone talk about anything there. Yeah. And I'm not trying to come at anybody else's efforts there, but, like, yeah, you're right. Like, that's somebody that really was doing such great work there. They went from having, you know, a uh, double-digit staff to a, you know, single-digit staff. Well, in the history there, it's like you look at, like, what Ernest Wilkins was doing. Yeah, Ernest like was doing Jessica great work. Gallier yeah. was doing, like, they've had this legacy of really incredible talent that were doing really strong work, and, and it is sad to see that that has diminished there, it seems. You know, the fear was, and I can't speak for my coworkers, but my fear was if we were going to get purchased by Tronk, we would be shut down immediately. Or they might take some of the reader people and just combine it with Red Eye. Yeah. Because it's publishing the same day. And it technically, you know, I'm sure the, the you know, the higher-ups thought like, hey, they're more or less the same, same thing. thing. Same thing. Even though we cover, you know, we're much better known in a lot of circles as a political uh, And, and a, a little bit more underground. You know, the Red a Eye does a lot of great things. Um, but you can also find like, 
you know, Aaron Water Show coverage. And yeah. Like, what's the best burger in Chicago? And that stuff's totally valid and worthwhile. Yeah. But the reader is where you can find about, like, what's this, like, queer person of color underground art space in Canaryville yeah. or something like that. Yeah. The know? reader lets me write about porta potties instead of the musicians playing at the festivals where you can use the porta potties. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it sounds like things are turning around. Now, things are, yeah, things are looking up. That's um, good. Yeah. So that's, uh, Nothing, <laughs> nothing that I, I think people should fear in the same way that we feared uh, kind of an, an end. <laughs> and the way that we fear everything else now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, media, media in general is shaky. And I think for a city as important and large as Chicago is, there still needs to be vast improvements. And that goes beyond, you know, what any of us are able to do. If, right. it, you know, there are so many communities in the city that aren't being served by the you know just the what's available right now yeah and that hurts everyone well yeah and there's you know there's so much i mean again like this is not saying anything people don't know there's so much art and culture happening in chicago right now and there always has been but man there's a lot happening right now and you're right like if those stories are not getting told that's a disservice to everybody because yes chance the rapper is an incredible talent who is doing really amazing work but for every chance story there are a lot of stories that are not Right, and Chance you know. was a lot of, is one of those stories. Absolutely, he was. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I remember being at South by Southwest. I was going to interview Austin Vestley. This is going back to right before. Uh, it was right when the um, Juice video had come out. But yeah, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, so South yeah. by South by two thousand thirteen. And I was going to interview Austin, and Chance was just happened to be with Austin, and I'd been wanting to interview Austin Vestley for a while because I thought what he was doing was really interesting. And so we were going to the Driscoll on uh, on Sixth Street, the hotel where I do a lot of my interviews at South by, and uh, Chance came with Austin, but I've been trying to get Austin for a while, and Chance was trying to like find a bar that would let him in to you to use the restroom because uh, he wasn't 21 yet, and all these bars were closing him out, and it's like it's just incredible to look back at a time where like any venue would say no to Chance the Rapper coming in. Yeah, it's uh, at one point he was an underground guy. He yeah he he's in. Even now, he's not an underground guy, but he's a community guy. He yeah, cares yeah. so deeply. I went to North Coast last weekend. Was I was there. The... I was there at two in the afternoon to see Rich Jones. I turn around and Chance is just in the crowd. Yeah, watching. Right, like not in like a special area, not behind stage. He was just watching from the crowd, which is insane. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's, it's incredible. Yeah, he's one of the biggest names in music right now, and he's he's going to Tonic Room to see you know to to rap shows. He's going to see friends of his and also people that he doesn't know. And every week I feel like you see an awesome, you know, something on Twitter about like chance jumped up on stage with so-and-so last night. It's like, he is here. It's like, listen, I am as Kanye fan as they get. Like I'm a Kanye apologist to a point, but Kanye booked, he, he made it happen. And like, he was like out, you know, and chance stayed here. I think it also has to do with the fact that like, Young people right now in the city are uh, realizing more and more the fact that they can build the infrastructures that can do better for them here than taking their chances and going to an expensive city like New York or L.A. Where it's so expensive. I mean, look, yeah. I've been doing this. I've been doing broadcast work here for 19 years. I love doing this in Chicago. I could not afford to devote time to doing as much work as this podcast is in L.A. or New York. Certainly not at the scale that I do, where we're doing like two panels a month, like four broadcasts a week or a month. It's like it would be so impossible to do that in Los Angeles or New York. Someplace like a Detroit, like Chicago, you know, I hear all these things about Nashville. Like you start hearing about Memphis. Like to me, I, I tell a lot of the college students that I teach at Columbia, I'm like, look, 
If you want to go to L.A. or New York, cool. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't or can't. But, like, consider Chicago. Consider, like, you and five of your friends buying a place in Detroit. Like, the cost of living is so low, and you can create, create, create. Right. And I think it's about what you want to do, yeah. too. Like, do you want to be the one just creating? Do you want to create? Do you want the, you know, the ability to do that? Because you could just be working your ass off at a bigger city, you getting know, nowhere, getting and, no recognition. And well, not even that just to like make ends meet and then be right. too tired to do the thing that you moved there for. Yeah. You, I hear stories about people I know in New York where it's like, it's three people, four people living in a one bedroom, but they're never home at the same time because they all have three jobs. So it works out. And I'm like, that sounds awful. Yeah. That, that sounds, sounds to me personally, that sounds, horrible. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Coming from the East coast where I was, you know, DC is one of the most expensive cities in the country. Sure. Boston is much smaller and it felt more expensive and it is more expensive than it is out here. It felt like coming here. I was like, I can afford to, to spend the year of like not making any money in this city to try and make a living right. because it's so inexpensive here. And I know it's, it's becoming more expensive. Here, it is. Yeah. But there's still places, you know, they can go that me as a white person can go and not displace other people. Yeah, and it is, I just think it's remarkable that, yeah, I have a lot of love for creating in Chicago, and I feel very appreciative that, like, I've even, I've just gotten to do so much here that, again, I couldn't do in another city, you know? And it, I, I think that's an incredible gift that the city offers, you know, of course, acknowledging that, yes, there's a lot of problems here. Um, but, so, yeah. again, people talk about it. I came, yeah, from Bo- I came from Boston, where, again, much smaller city, you could spend your, you know, every day in your bubble and not realize that there was a person who didn't look like you living in the same city. Right. I did AmeriCorps, so I would be the white, last white person on my bus on my way to work, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, like for me, it was just normal. Right. I got to know, I got to, you know, that's part of what I was thankful about working in AmeriCorps. I got to see parts of the city that most people like me would never step foot in because they had no reason to. Right. Yeah. So you're here, you know, in Chicago, festival season has wound down. What's coming up for you? What are you excited about? Is there anything on the horizon that you're, you know, a story you have coming out or anything you're working on? Or I'm excited for the end of festival season. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Because oh, you boy. hit that really hard every year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really feeling it. Uh, you know, it's five. It feels like it's, it is five months yeah. of the year. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a marathon. I remember the first year I went to South by Southwest was like, I think, 2008. And this most recent year that I did South by Southwest, 2017, there's a, there's a difference between my energy level when I was like, you know, 26 and now. And even even if you're not going, that eats up my time. That oh, eats yeah. up the you know the the time that I have to work on things that I honestly care more about. Sure, sure. And my job is to you know I'm in service to the readers, and that's what's happening in the city music wise. So I have to write about it. Of course, I don't always want to. So I'm excited to get back to doing things that I'm much more invested in. So it's kind of, it sounds like this off season, this non festival season is when you can like really get to the stories that mean more to you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I sometimes can, can do that during the festival season. It's just really hard to find that time. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately I'm so drained from festival season right now that it's, you know, it's like, Oh, here's my time. And I really just need a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, getting, you know, catching my breath and figuring out what, you know, what I get to work on next is, is what I'm looking forward to. And jawbreaker. Yeah, and Jawbreaker. Yeah. Well, and I hope that this, the rest of this year is is positive for you and that you get a break. And also that that all these good things we're talking about really happen at the reader. Like, I, I hope that that happens because you guys, again, I'm not saying anything that anyone doesn't know, but Chicago Institution, the work you're doing is very important. So 
I want you guys to succeed, and I want to see those good things happen. So I hope that that really does come through. Thank you. Me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, final question, like, and, and this has been great, and thank you so much for coming up. And, and I can't believe both of our other guests like hung out here tonight. That's so cool. Um, Thanks, guys. But, you know, for anybody who, again, looks at what you've been able to do with the reader, with covering music, with telling really meaningful, impactful stories, like anybody who felt like they wanted to do that, what advice would you give them? Find your way, uh, which seems trite. <laughs> but, like, there's so many avenues. And we were talking when I got here earlier, just, like, the fact that you could be a young person and you can make your own podcast, you can have your own blog. Sure. You have all these tools at your fingertips and time to do that, too, if you, you know... I'm, granted, when I was in high school, I felt like I was just studying all the time. But uh, you can legitimize yourself a lot quicker now when you're younger oh, yeah. than you could when you, know, when you were my age no, at, absolutely. as a high schooler and, uh, and had dial-up. And it took 20 minutes to download a song off LimeWire. You know, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you guys know LimeWire? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> when, I was, when I was young, I, I was in high school and I was very fortunate to get internships. And I, I appreciate that and I love that. I have nothing but love for the the fact that that happened and they were incredible experiences, but that was also the only way in. And I'm lucky that the experiences were great, but it was the only way in. And now if I was 15, 16, 18, 19, I could just start the podcast. I want, I could start the blog that I want. I could become a photographer. You can just like literally go right to that thing. I think, you know, I don't want to, to disparage Northwestern. I don't want to disparage my degree. Right. The, one of the best things I got out of that was bringing me here. I got, as much of an education out of blogging for myself on my personal WordPress as I did at Northwestern, because that gave me the clips and showed that I had some sense of expertise that I could take those and bring it to Bostonist, which is where I first started writing for anyone Mm -hmm. but myself that wasn't a college institution, RIP Bostonist. Then I could use those clips and bring those to the Phoenix and be like, yo, this is, I know what I'm doing. Right. I know about emo. (laughs) I know about emo. emo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, Lior Galil, Chicago reader, man, this is great. I love having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, tonight has been awesome with all three guests. Um, and again, thank you for coming up, man. And, and you know, we'll have you on in the future or whether another interview or a panel or something, but enjoy the rest of your year now thank that you. it's not festival season. You too. Sweet, man. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in two weeks, uh, with another round of interviews. I'll be at Riot Fest next Sunday, but Two weeks from tonight, 9 p.m., live from Virgin Hotels, DynastyPodcast.com. And follow our Twitter at DynastyPodcast with an S. Uh, Dynasty Podcast. On Twitter, we have a bunch of new announcements coming up. We have a new merch store we're putting up, announcing a new workshop tomorrow, and we have some new panels on the way as well. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcast. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, Dynasty Descend.